0: Soprano Sandra Rodvanovsky is backstage at Lyric.
1: I always try to get to the core of the character. How is she thinking? Why did she end up falling in love with this man? And that, for me, really is the core of the character. Why did she allow this to happen? Why did it happen? And so every Verdi character has a different core character, and that's why I'm trying to find the truth in
0: her. Thank you for downloading this episode of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Roger Pines of Lyric Opera of Chicago. Sandra Ravanovsky has triumphed at Lyric in three roles the title role of Carlisle Floyd's Susanna, Leonora in Verdi's Il Trovatore, and Elvira in Verdi's Ernani. Now she's returning to the company for her third Verdi role at Lyric Amelia in Un ballo in mascara, a masked ball. Sandra is celebrated worldwide as one of the few Verdi sopranos of our day. She stars in that repertoire with virtually every major opera house internationally. Recently, I sat down with Sandra to talk about Un Ballo in Mascara, but before we get to that conversation, here's the story of the opera. Gustavus, King of Sweden, is in love with Amelia, the wife of his best friend and secretary, Count Ankestrom. The frightened Amelia meets secretly with a fortune teller, Ulrika, Madame Arvidsson, who advises her to gather an herb that will create a magic potion, enabling her to forget any thought of infidelity. Madame Arvidsson encounters Gustavus as well, and in telling his fortune, she reveals that he will be killed by the next man to shake his hand. When that man turns out to be Ankostrum, Gustavus and his friends reject Madame Arvidsson's prediction. Late at night, Amelia is gathering the herb when she meets Gustavus. The two declare their love, but are then surprised by Ankostrum. Gustavus asks his friend to escort his veiled companion back to town while asking her no questions. Conspirators plotting against Gustavus demand the lady's identity. And when Amelia lifts her veil, Ankostrum is stunned. He later joins the conspirators and, in drawing lots, it's determined that he will be the one to kill the king. At a masked ball, Gustavus is assassinated by Ankostrum, but he demands that no one seek vengeance for the murder. Too late, Ankostrum learns that his wife is innocent and that Gustavus had decided never to see her again. Now onto my conversation with soprano Sandra Rodvanovsky. I hope you enjoy it. I'm here with Sandra rodvanovsky who is back in town for her second Verdi role in two consecutive seasons. Last Correct. year was Ernani, and Elvira in Ernani, and now is a role debut. Yay, Amelia in Un ballo in Mascara. and we are so looking forward to it. It's going to Thank be you. fabulous. The first leading Verdi role you sang at the Met, as far as I know, was the role you've performed the most often in your Four career.
1: Four million times. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. also here, yeah, and Il also Trovatore. Here
0: Leonora in Trovatore. And so you spent 10 years doing other Verdi yes. heroines before this season when you had role debuts first as Aida and now as Amelia. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so what makes Trovatore, Luisa Miller, Don Carlo, and even Vesprì Siciliani roles that you wanted to do first, but I mean before you ever got around to Amelia and Aida.
1: Sure. Well well Aida is a different duck, I think, even than Balo is. Uh, because Iida is a lot more what we would call declamatory in the middle voice. And so you need to have a little more power and to be able to put a little more pressure, we say, on the voice and the middle voice. And it's it's a tough thing. It's high, it's but it's also low. And that for me has always been a bit of a, an issue with me because I have the high notes and I have the high and soft and the lilty stuff. But when you start to get into the middle and the lower part of the voice, it comes with with age, a lot of it, and also just technique and working on the technique. And balo, Amelia and balo, is also a lot of middle voice singing. And you have to get over a large-ish orchestra, so you have to be able to, to really put a little more pressure on it. And that you don't want to do when you're too young because you can kind of ruin the voice. So there's a, a sequence that one does the Verity rolls in.
0: So now that you are doing first Aida and then Amelia, do you like that sequence as opposed to the other way around, ballo first and then Aida? Did it make sense to do it the other way? You
1: know, um, my coach and I, we were saying just the other day, gosh, you know, I I wish that I had done ballo first because it's not as declamatory as Aida. But that being said, I I didn't have a choice and I did Aida first. And what it really helped me with was the lower register, of my voice for this Balo. So I think I'm very happy that it happened the way it did.
0: You talked to me the first time we ever talked about Balo. You talked about her humaneness and her vulnerability. How did those qualities emerge?
1: Well, you know, I think she is is a woman really, really torn because she's in love with a king and he's in love with her. I don't think the marriage or, you know, the, the relationship was ever consummated. So it's a secret thing and a secret love. and And she doesn't lie to her husband. She tells her husband, yes, you know, I did love him. I do love him. I did love him, whichever way you look at it. So she's very human and it happens to all of us to... To married people, how many times do you hear? Yes, I fell in love with someone else. It, it happens. It's human nature, and so I think that she is not this demanding woman and aggressive woman. She's she's very gentle and and kind of caught between these two men. And and it's her husband's best friend. For goodness' sake, that <laughs> she falls in love with. So.
0: So. So she's vulnerable basically everywhere in the role, isn't she? The whole
1: role. It, it, even her first aria, which is quite, in a way, declamatory, e do campo," But it's a prayer. It's a prayer to God, really. And she is very vulnerable, saying, please, you know, rid my heart of this love that I feel for this man, this forbidden love. And then her big second aria, "Morro." is just begging her husband, please, you can kill me, but let me see my son one more time and think about his future without me. She never once says something like, go away or leave me alone or any of these declamatory phrases. She's always very, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do this. Please, God. The whole role.
0: And in a way, she's... Most vulnerable the first time we see her because she's coming to Ulrika saying, "Help me!"
1: Exactly. What can I do? And why are and she says to you, to Amelia? Why are you here? I want to rid my heart of this burning love. Mm. Wow! Great. So the
0: Verdi ladies that you sing are—they're generally very warm, they're feminine, they're noble, they're vulnerable. So Amelia has all of that. Yeah. So. How do you define her as an individual separate from all of these other ladies that you sing in Vabdi?
1: Well, you know, that's always a fine line, isn't it? Um, the production always, for me, helps me differentiate between the women and, okay, Trovatore, I've done four million times, as I said. So, you know, every production's a little different. But I try to find how she thinks. I always try to get to the, the core of the character. How is she thinking? Why did she end up falling in love with this man? And that, for me, really is the core of the character. Why did she allow this to happen? Why did it happen? And so every Verdi character has a different core character, and that's why I'm trying to find the truth in
0: her. So like Aida, she's mm-hmm. got these two arias, one rather longer than the other, yes. and radically different.
1: Yes, yes, two separate voices. Yeah, exactly. See. So
0: so contrast those two.
1: Well, it, it is. It's very much like Aida. The first one is a little more declamatory, more...
0: Grand scale. Grand scale, yeah.
1: yeah ABA, you know, we, we have the different sections. And like Aida, you have the O mia, which is definitely more a lyric voice that sings that with a big high C and also well you do have that in the second half of the the first aria here in in Ballo a very exposed high C as well but the second aria in this is I find more in the vein of Trovatore in the Damor surare rose the the weeping kind of the piangere that the, the Damor is um and the O patria I find very much in that same vein mm. So, very similar. I think, you know, he wrote these operas close together, too.
0: Now, Act Two is really spectacular for you, for (laughs) her character, because you're on stage from the beginning to the end, and she's got, she starts with a huge recitative and aria. She has a huge uh, love duet, then a big trio, and then a finale that is dramatically just riveting. So, what secrets have you learned in your other Verdi roles about pacing in such large-scale repertoires, so that you can go through Act Two in a healthy way, and
1: to get to Act Three? To actually make it. Act three. Yeah. Well, it is, you know, and the only it, it is about pacing. All Verdi roles are about pacing for all the characters, and I think the only way to really know is to do it. And to say, oh, gosh, I gave a little bit too much there. And also to go through the score and mark the places. Here I don't have to give so much. Here I can give 70% or, you know, 60% even. And sometimes, I'm saying this live now, sometimes in all the big choruses, one doesn't always sing every note. (laughs) Just saying, you know, that out there. In Vespere, there's many, many points where I just kind of drop out and let the chorus, because the chorus is doubling you in so many Verdi operas. So you just let them ride the orchestra.
0: I'm curious as to what you think the most challenging portion of this is, not to sing, but to act.
1: Oh, boy. Um, I would have to say the Love Duet and Frank Lopardo and I are, are having a, a bit of a difficulty still finding a good balance, because this is a very traditional production, I will say. So Gustavo, yes, he's in love with Amelia. Amelia is in love with Gustavo. He's the king. How far does one? take that? Does he touch her? Should he not touch her? And it's a, it's a very difficult tango that we're doing for the whole duet. You know, yes, yes, I love you. No, I don't. Leave me alone. Touch me. Don't touch me. And it's very difficult for me finding that balance between being coy or actually telling him, yes, I love you, but I can't do this anymore. And it's 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 a difficult line to, to cross.
0: I mean, it's so interesting because I don't think of that duet in terms of Sort of sensuality. Do you think it's there?
1: Absolutely. She says, Eben si tamo. Yeah. She says, Which means? I, well, then, because he says, Do you love me? Tell me just one word, just one word. And she says, Well, okay. Eben, yes, I love you. It doesn't and, get more central than and that. And the does, music is. And how
0: does the music reflect? Ecstatic that? Yeah.
1: music. I mean, uh, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> it's <laughs> really good, Barry. So, yes, she says, yes, okay, enough, quit badgering me. Yes, I love you. But then after that, we, we sing together. But then I say, this is going to be my funeral bed. If I continue down this road.
0: It's interesting that that final, I guess the last, what, two minutes of that love duet is in a way the most aggressive and not exactly sort of loving and sweet. It's sort of the opposite, isn't it? Absolutely. They get very aggressive, the two of them. It's like anything you can sing, I can sing higher and louder. (laughs) Yeah. Or softer. Yeah. Yeah. The opera is being done in period, and Mm. so you've got 18th-century outfits that you're dealing with, including, I assume, a ball gown.
1: A ball gown, a a powdered wig in the last scene. I am dressed as Marie Antoinette and uh, (laughs) big, big hips.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So how does the structure of those great big 18th-century dresses affect the way you sing?
1: Not so much. I I like singing, being corseted and, and having that because I use it to breathe into. Um, if the costumes were heavier, then that would be a problem. That would be an issue because you're lugging around all that weight as well as trying to move around on stage. But for me, no, not, not really. Yes, it's it's a lot different than the production of Aida that I just did, which was in modern dress and I was wearing Keds sneakers. No. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> Keds sneakers and uh, just a plain old shift washerwoman dress. Yeah. So you know it, it, so it's so rather a lot be different.
0: corseted than.
1: Oh, uh, you know each one has its, its its own virtues. One's good, one's bad. You know.
0: Does you, it change? It must change one's posture. Where? Well, this that's kind what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah. It
1: does. It it. I mean, there's a reason why they corseted the women, you know. They look very grand and very proper, and it makes you stand up straight. It really does.
0: And it must change sort of just the way you
1: just walk on the stage. Absolutely. Your whole carriage and deportment is different. And, you know, you can't walk around, you know, like in kids like we all do when we're walking on the street. You just can't walk like that.
0: In this opera, you're being directed by Renata Scotto, who came to us to do Amelia in 1980. And I know that she's known you since, I think, since you came to the Met. Yes, since I was 25, 26 years old. And you work with her especially on Vespas Siciliani.
1: Uh, Traviata uh, and Trovatore as well.
0: So can you give me an, an idea of the kinds of insights that she is able to bring to you in working on the Verdi repertoire that maybe nobody else could bring to you? Well, since she's done all of this,
1: first off, she has the experience. So she knows to tell you, okay, here you need to just think about singing and here you need to think just about acting. And we would go through scores and roles and just look at them from a, first off, from a specifically, purely vocal standpoint. And then we would stop and talk about the character. And she's so great in stage deportment and helping you okay, the Sandra, here you have to face the audience. Your voice has to go out into the theater because the orchestra gets loud. You have to not think about acting here. Just think about singing. And she's so great with that. You know, the the master of the voice and and everything on stage. She was born to do this.
0: She really so was. So are there particular phrases that you sing a certain way because of what you worked on with her?
1: Absolutely, yeah. You know, and and... It's finding a balance always in Verdi. It's finding a balance between singing loud and singing soft for me. And I love singing soft. I mean that for me because it draws the audience in. And Renata is the same thing. You know, she says you don't want them to to always have your sound hitting them in the face. You want to draw them in with your soft legato singing. And so you you find those moments in every opera.
0: So I'm thinking of the moments that allow you to exploit that in ballo to exploit you know exploit your ability to sing high and soft.
1: Sure. Well, the cadence at the end of morro, for sure. Um, at the end of the opera, when uh, Gustavo's dying, there's um, a few high, soft notes there. Not as many as there are in Trovatore, in Aida for sure. Mm. I mean, Aida, pff, the second half of the opera is all about singing high and soft. Right.
0: This is an all-American cast, which I think is so wonderful that we can feel this international, you know, top-flight cast for yeah. Balo of international quality, and they're all Americans. So what do you most enjoy about working with Frank Lopardo, Mark Delavan, Stephanie Blythe?
1: Well, I think Americans have a very good work ethic. You know, they they show up on time. They show up with their music learned. Uh, they're willing to work. And that, for me, is just such a bonus because other countries you go to in Europe and they're just, oh, you know, let's take a coffee break, you know. And, and they just want to get everything, just get through it. And Americans really, I find, North Americans too because I'm Canadian as well, they just really want to work. They're willing to work, and not only on the stage, but also on their voices. And I think Americans, North Americans, have the best voices in the world because they do work.
0: You've got Tosca coming up at the Met, correct? I do. Yes, and you've done your first one pretty recently. Where was that? It
1: was in Denver. This is this Balo is my third new role in a row. That's amazing. <laughs> I need a vacation.
0: <laughs> so the demands of Tosca are radically different from Amelia, Radically.
1: Yeah, different orchestra, different acting, different vocal aspects, all completely different. It's Puccini.
0: So when you go, say, from a Verdi role, whether it's Aida, Amelia, or whatever, to Tosca, do you need a certain period in between to sort of readjust?
1: Well, you have that rehearsal period for sure. And um, at the Met, I think we have at least two weeks of rehearsal. So, you know, you, you take a little time and, and readjust. But, you know, I have to say, Tosca is, for me, not that much different than this and Aida. Not so much. Yes, she has a little more declamatory high notes. But, um, you know, I had no problem going from the Tosca that I just did in Denver to the Aida to this. So as long as a singer knows how to change the vocal production between the different styles, then I don't think it's a problem.
0: I know that you've been offered a lot of dramatic repertoire and some (laughs) of it you're starting to do and some of it you're still saying no to. So in looking at a possible new role, I mean, what are the the signs that you anticipate that sort of present you with, yeah, I, I can give the green light on this or no, I'm giving the red light on this?
1: Well, first off, I have to like the roles. I know Marella Franey told me once, you know, the audience will know if you don't like it.
0: You mean if you don't like this the role. woman you're playing?
1: The the woman and also the the, the music. If you don't like it, she said that they'll feel it. They'll they'll get a sense that, oh, she's not really enjoying this. So I have to like the character as well as the music, first and foremost. Then you have to look at the vocal aspect of it. Can I sing this? Can I make it through the night? And um You know, that was a big issue for me with AIDA. We put off singing AIDA for many years. And finally, now that I'm 41, we said, hey, okay, it's time. Because you can meet the vocal demands. And you can meet the vocal demands under stress doing it in Mm. a theater. And there's always – it's one thing to sing through something in a studio with your teacher or your coach. But it's a complete different thing to sing through it with orchestra On a stage, you know, with other cast members, too. And so you have to have people that you trust.
0: So have you been in a situation where you actually took a role that you were considering into a space that was bigger than a practice room and tried singing it to see how it felt?
1: No, but that's why I have my teacher and my coach and my manager to tell me from their experience, yes, I think you could do this and because that's always that's always a problem for all singers am i ready to do this and it's it's a huge question that we all run into and i'm actually going it sounds like i'm going bigger but in the next few years actually i'm going backwards into bel canto repertoire this is as large as i get uh, vocally, as Balo and Aida. I won't do anything more than that because, yes, I have been offered Turandot,
0: Yeah. Oh, new- perhaps. Oh, yes. yes. And, and the, the, lady the Scottish yeah. lady, yes, yes, has been
1: offered and Attila and, you know, all those dr- dramatic things but I'm, just not. I call them the angry women because there's also an issue of temperament that you have to throw into this whole mix. And when one gets temperament, oftentimes one gets just tight in their body, which then registers in their voice. So there's always that. You have to be the master of your voice in order to to understand and know when you're ready to do all this. And I'm just not ready for all that yet. Not yet. Maybe when I turn 50.
0: (laughs) You actually had the experience of going back to Bel Canto, was it last season or the season yeah. before, doing Lucrezia Borgia? Lucrezia Borgia. So did you, in doing that, did you feel, oh, this is just like singing Trovatore?
1: Yeah, it was very, very similar to it. And it, and it's funny how one kind of fed into the other because I did do Trovatore right after doing the Lucrezia Borgia. I thought, wow, okay, one helped the other. Because Trovatore really is bel canto. It is bel canto with a little bit of a kick in some places. But, you know, I learned so much from doing it and enjoyed it so much that I am actually doing a lot more of the bel canto.
0: I've seen the pictures of that Washington National Opera (laughs) production. Oh, my goodness. The costumes were – you must have had such a great time with
1: that. Oh, well, you know, you had to run with it. And and being dressed in these six-inch high boots that were up my thigh and I looked like Barbarella, really. The last costume was really great.
0: You've become a major favorite of lyric audiences. What do you most enjoy about performing in this theater and for this audience?
1: Well, I mean, there's so many aspects of it. Aspects that the audience won't see, for me, is the backstage, the crew, and everybody that works here. It's just, it's like coming home. So you know that John or Jane or whoever is going to be here. And and in this transient life that we lead as a singer, it's so refreshing to know that you're going to see the same people. And The people here in Chicago, I'm slightly prejudiced because I was born here, but I think they're the best people in the world, you know, the friendliest, the nicest people, and honest and open and sincere. So there's that aspect of it for me, coming here and working with all these great people. And the orchestra is amazing, and they always get great conductors and great casts put together and great directors. So why wouldn't somebody want to come here? And then, on top of it all, to have the audiences... They're so knowledgeable and so loving and giving. When when you walk out on stage, you know Mm -hmm. that they just, there's a big smile on their faces. And and I love that.
0: Well, I want to wish you in Boca Lupo and Toy 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 for all the performances of Valerie Mascara. Thank Thank you. you. You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org.